0: much candy as always, um, but we love her and we are grateful for her and all of the other leaders and teachers that walked around, celebrated with these kids. Man, the children are not the future of the church. They are the life and breath of our church today, and for that we are thankful and grateful to God. Amen. 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 Will you stand, we're going to keep having you stand, but um, we stand today for the reading of God's word from the book of Hebrews. Now, here's the thing. I am, for those of you that have been around a while and you know me well, you know this about me. I really love scripture. Um, I love the Bible. I love digging into it. I love learning new things. It's exciting and fantastic and a whole lot of fun. I started reading this passage as we're preparing for the last series Um, The last sermon in our series, Mountains High and Valleys Low, I read the passage and went, what in the world are we getting into today? It was not a passage that was one that was like, oh, this just preaches itself and makes perfect sense. It was one that was like, oh, man, you got to wrestle with this bad boy. So we're going to wrestle with the word of God today. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. Um, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No. That's not the mountain you've come to. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names were written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Today, the Word of God for the people of God. Be to God. You may be seated. So the Israelites, um, we've talked a lot about them, because when we've been in this series, we've done a whole lot of Old Testament, and I love that. We've done that the last several summers. We've dug into Old Testament series in the summertime. It's fun to go back and look and revisit some of these stories that maybe we haven't seen or read in a really long time. And now we're moving a little bit further back. Today, we are two months from Egypt. So Egypt is where the Israelite people were held captive as slaves for hundreds of years and God finally released them from that slavery to help them enter into the land of promise flowing with milk and honey. You guys remember right? We were we talked about Joshua just a couple weeks ago. It might have been last week, who knows. BBs week feels like 5 weeks. So I really don't know what week it is. Um, and, and we talked about that, this land of milk and honey and of promise, and the people have been out for two months. They've been roaming around in the wilderness, and they come to the desert, to the land of Sinai. Now, in Sinai, there is a mountain. And uh, this mountain was great, and it was known as a place where God dwelt because God's presence comes down. If you look back in, um, if you look back, There we go. We're going to go back to Exodus for just a minute. But if you go back to Exodus 19, this is where the Lord really reveals himself for the first time in a very present and real way to the people. God is up on top of the mountain. He is hovering over it, and the people are scared to death. God begins to lay down these walls that they have to to do certain things. And uh, finally, on the third day that they're at this mountain, and the cloud is dwelling, and the thunder is rumbling, and the people are scared. It says, On the mountain on the third day, this is verse 16 thunder roared, lightning flashed, the dense cloud came down onto the mountain, and there was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn, and all the people trembled. And it tells us that even Moses was afraid. They came before God with fear and trembling. I grew up in a little neighborhood in southern West Virginia. Um, if you know me for a hot minute, you'll know that's where I'm from because I really love my home state. Like most Ohioans really love Ohio, that's how I feel about West Virginia. And, uh, and so I grew up in this, in this little tiny community with an elementary school and a handful of houses and it was up on a hill because y'all, everything in southern West Virginia on a hill. And so in this little hill that I grew up on and our house sat right up there and I'm the oldest of five children, at this time there were only four of us, uh, me and my brothers, who are identical triplets. Uh, they're 18 months younger than I am, and let me tell you, it was a party growing up, one that nobody really wanted to go to. And uh, they they were in trouble all the time. I mean, all the time. And you, and it you kind of got an impression um, with our neighborhood people because of having the triplets. We were the family with the triplets. Even though I was the oldest sister, you'd think they know who I was, but no, I... I had to branch out on my own before anybody didn't relate me to the three of them. And, uh, and so I, uh, we, had to, we lived at the top of the hill and at the bottom of the hill, there was this other little street that was down there and there were multiple kids with girls that were my age. And so I was on the top of the hill, all those girls were at the bottom of the hill and one of the girls down there had a pool Now in the summertime in West Virginia, it never gets hot enough for me to swim in West Virginia now because I'm cold all the time. But uh, when I was little, of course, I wanted to go swimming. And so all the girls at the bottom of the hill were always invited to the pool, but I was never invited to go. And so I would sit at the very top of the hill on the curb, looking over at the pool while they all swam. And I sat simply longing to be invited. I never was. I wasn't included. I didn't feel good enough. I wasn't wasn't able to be a part of what was going on. And here the people of Israel are at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God is saying, don't touch it. Don't come close. And in the people's hearts, they said, yeah, we're not good enough. We're, (laughs) We're not clean enough. We're polluted by the world, and we cannot go to the place where God is because we fear for our own lives. And they struggled with that constant tension. Even later on in Scripture, as, as they begin to, to build the tabernacle and they bring sacrifices to God, Burnt rams and doves and all kinds of goats and offerings that they, they came because the shedding of the blood was necessary for the forgiveness of their sins. And so they come and they'd present these sacrifices, but it was never enough. It was never enough for them to truly approach fully God himself. Under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Um, The the Bible is split up into two parts. Um, We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and pretty much Jesus is what breaks the barrier. In the Old Testament, that is the way that they lived every day of their lives. Wanting to be close to God, but not knowing how. Hearing the commandment over and over and over and over again. In Leviticus, it's mentioned four times. Be holy as I am holy. A command from God. And the people were going, we're doing our best, Lord. Part of the problem was they thought they had to do their best to be holy. When really, when you jump into 1 Peter, at the, towards the end of the New Testament, when Peter is telling us that we are a royal priesthood, and he's saying, you be holy as God is holy, we come knowing. We come knowing what is to come. The writer of Hebrews has us in kind of an awkward position. Now, the book of Hebrews, we're not quite sure who the author is. People want to battle it out all the time. Um, some, uh, some like feminist pastors were like, "Woohoo! Let's!" Uh, it, it could be a woman. It could be a woman. We don't know who the Hebrew writer is. But a lot of people point towards Paul. But it's real weird. Like Paul doesn't write like this anywhere else. Um, and Hebrews also says this is a short letter. Well, we know Paul writes some pretty short letters, and Hebrews is not short. And it is not easy to read. You start reading Hebrews, don't start there, by the way. Like, if you're new to being a Christian, if you just now are starting to be like, oh man, I'd really like to know what the Bible says, don't start in Hebrews or leviticus uh, start like in the book of john but um but he um, the writer of hebrews is is starting to give us a breakdown he's broken down all throughout what does jesus provide for us that the old covenant did not provide for us what does jesus give us that the mount sinai never could give us and so the hebrew writer does this beautiful phenomenal thing here he makes mountains as the imagery of the beauty of the new covenant of Jesus Christ. So he takes this Mount Zion that is filled with I'm sorry, Mount Sinai that is filled with trembling and fear and terror and I'm not good enough and I can't get closer I'll die. I can't come into the presence of the Lord because I will never be clean. I can't be holy. I'm trying on my own but I can never reach that. And he says, that is the old covenant under which people lived for a really long time, but Jesus, but Jesus. And so Jesus shows up in this marvelous and phenomenal way. We talked this week in VBS, I was Mary one day. If your children, by the way, go, Pastor Rachel told our stories. I pretended like I wasn't Pastor Rachel the whole time. And it was very infuriating for most of them, including my own daughter. Um, both of my daughters, but uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a fun thing, but we, uh, you know, he came in the form of a baby in a manger. He is raised. He does all of these miracles throughout the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John show us over and over and over again, the beauty of the story of Jesus Christ and all the wonderful things he did. And it climaxes on a hill called Calvary where Jesus dies. He sheds his own blood and all of a sudden he becomes the sacrifice That the people have been trying to make themselves all this time. We've been trying to make ourselves holy by offering sacrifices. And God goes, no, the sacrifice that's going to change things, the blood that's really going to cleanse you, can only be done through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes and he sacrifices his life. He bleeds and dies on a cross. And the Hebrew writer tells us, we don't live on Mount Sinai anymore. We don't live in the foot of a mountain of gloom and doom and imperfection and never being able to reach or, uh, or, or be able to be good enough. Now we are people of Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is an actual mountain. It is where King David was, was uh, put into leadership as the king of the Israelite people back in the Old Testament. Um, he was put, and he is the line of Jesus Christ. So it's got a whole lot of implications here. So we've got King David, who was called to be king, Mount Zion, and then it became became known as the City of David. That's what it was known as all throughout the Old Testament. So if you read about any place where it says the City of David, that's Zion. And, And so Mount Zion became this marvelous place where they think, man, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to come through the lineage of King David. This is a place of holy goodness kingdom beauty that's just going to come and invade and overtake the entire world goodness will come we will be saved salvation is coming for us mount zion is this beautiful and marvelous place now if we cj if you don't mind pulling back up verse 22 if you could go back there real quick in hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 it starts this new line of talk so we've been over here on mount sinai you guys following with me Everybody looks real awake today. Y'all doing great. Um, even Sawyer, who was up all night at a slumber party. Way to go, Sawyer. Good job. So um, we've moved from Mount Sinai to this new, as we've kind of turned the tables. No, you are not at the foot of a fiery mountain of doom and gloom. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the countless thousands of angels who are rejoicing. Now Mount Zion took on this new, and you can just leave it there, CJ, thank you. Um, Mount Zion took on this new identity. It was the place where King David was anointed as king. It was the place that we heard about all throughout the Old Testament that Messiah was going to come and bring his kingdom about. But now we look at Mount Zion through new eyes. It's not just about Jerusalem. It is about, what's the word before Jerusalem? You guys say it with me. Heavenly. A heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, this ain't no earthly kingdom we're talking about. This is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom that transcends this entire world and all the things and the negative junk that comes along with it. This is the holy mountain where the heavenly Jerusalem lies. In other words, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. And we get this beauty that um, writer of Hebrews also has this big obsession with angels, more so than anybody else in the entire scripture, but we don't have time to talk about that. So we've got angels. Anytime you talk about heaven, right? We think about angels, and they are coming what? Right up on the throne of God, and they are worshiping him. Mount Sinai? Nobody ain't coming closer, you die. On Mount Zion, we all come close and we live and we worship and we breathe. Verse 23, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. Okay, so we're going to come to a handful of things here, you ready? First, we came to the heavenly throne where the angels are surrounding and they are worshiping and they are celebrating. Woohoo! The kingdom of God has come. Now, we are coming to where God himself is, and he rules as judge over all things. Now, some of us think of judges in a negative way. Um, for anyone who has ever had to stand before a judge because you have been in trouble, you don't necessarily think, oh man, I'm really glad the judge is here. That's not the way that we see it. We have been foster parents for a while now, and we are always a little bit nervous when it talks about the magistrate or the judge. We have an appointment with him or her. Our current one is a woman. And we we get a little bit nervous. We get a little bit nervous because we just don't know. We don't know what she's thinking we don't know what she we don't know exactly what she's seen or what she's heard or what she's hearing from other people like she has this combination of knowledge from all these different other aspects and for us we're just living the grind day in and day out with these children so we don't know we just know what our experience is and we think we're right don't we Chad uh-huh we think we're Nobody else is making sure that she's tucked into bed and has a story and gets prayed over. Nobody else is doing that. We're doing it. We're doing the work. So judge, you need to listen to us. But see, God comes as the judge himself who is over all things. In other words, he works beyond your scope and your parameters. He sees much more than what you see. So in those moments and those crises of life, Where we are just struggling and we are battling and we are fighting things out. And we look to God who is the judge and we go, rule in my favor here. (laughs) Can't I just get a break? Can't things just be a little bit easier on me, Lord? And God is sitting as the judge over all things. And he says, oh, but you don't know all the things that I know. You can't see all of the things that I see. And so we get this beautiful picture of a loving judge who says i am not just ruling against or for you for you i'm ruling in a way that encompasses the entire world and you are included in that you are part of a new jerusalem a mount zion you are part of the kingdom of god the next one it says that you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect i think that's the next slide there there we go you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect and you go all right stop there it's okay i had to stop there too i was like what are you what are you talking about here you see there was no perfection that was going to happen at sinai the only thing that was perfect there was god himself right that was it He was the only perfection. But in the kingdom of God, we have the opportunity to live in perfect love. Now, now this is kind of a really big concept for a VBS Sunday, but I want you to hang with me here for just a minute. In the Church of the Nazarene, we call this Christian perfection. We call it perfect love. And what it means is we have a holy God who has the ability and has done the work that's necessary to make you holy, to set you apart. What does holiness look like? It looks like purely and totally loving God first and foremost above all things, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. It's three parts there. You've got three people you've got to love there. You're loving God, you're loving your neighbor, and you're loving you. And that's what it looks like. When we come together and we live in a holy place and we live as Christians who are fulfilling the mission of God, we come to Mount Zion, you know what? That's it. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. I need to wear heels today. I can't get any higher to talk to you. The kingdom of God comes when we live lives that are, that are exhibited out in perfect love for God and for Our neighbor. Now, my mom and I, every single year, uh, about, oh, goodness, it's been 11 years now. Um, 11 years ago, my sister passed away. It was very sudden and, and just absolutely devastating for our family. She was a senior in high school. And, uh, and, and since that time, my mom and I made the decision that we wanted to spend more time together, that it was just important because time is short because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. And so at that time, my mom and I decided that we were going to go to Amish country every year. Now, my mom and I love it. We go to Holmes County, Ohio, at least once a year, every year, usually in September or October, and sometimes around my birthday in April. It's perfect. And uh, we go for a couple of days, and we eat way too much. Like, we know... (laughs) We really, um, we really know all the ins and outs of every good baked good place, and because we've been going for like ten years now, okay. So we know all the things. We can go, and we know where the mar- monster cookies are, and where the best pies are, and, and where you can eat things that you just shouldn't ever eat. And we all gained ten pounds, and it's wonderful. We have done all kinds of tours. We've gone to an Amish home, and we've visited, and they've shown us schoolhouses and the type of materials that they teach their children and these. In these schoolhouses, Um, we have met Amish people. We've been in their barns, and we have learned all types of things about them. Their culture, it's been fantastic. And we go every year. We're there all the time. And you would think that we could be Amish. I mean, as much as we go there and as much as we know, we could be Amish, except for the fact that we're not. There's, it doesn't matter. It does not no matter how many times we go and eat marvelous baked goods, how many tours we take of Amish homes, how, many time, how, many, how often do we spend um, or how much time we spend with people who are Amish. I am never going to be Amish. I have a lot of things going against me. <laughs> we won't go there today. Um, <laughs> I got a lot of things going against me. The people of God are coming before God and they are sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai in devastation, looking at God and going, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be holy. It doesn't matter how much time we spend at the foot of this mountain. It doesn't matter how much time we spend right there in your tabernacle making sacrifices. It doesn't matter how much time we listen to your words from Moses or Aaron or whoever else is preaching to us or the prophets. It does not matter. We are not going to be able to turn ourselves into holy people. It doesn't matter how much time we spend with you, how much time we focus on it, how many many sacrifices we make. It doesn't matter. We are not going to be able to make ourselves holy. So, this really cool thing happens on Mount Zion. We don't read a whole lot about it in the New Testament, but if you look real close, you will find that there is this amazing, phenomenal event that takes place on Mount Zion in the New Testament. It's Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit happened on that mountain. It happened on Mount Zion, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they all work together in unison to draw us towards God. The Holy Spirit comes, and it's not like God, who's living on Mount Sinai, and it's not like Jesus, who's flesh and blood, dying and bleeding for us. The Holy Spirit has this innate ability to live inside of us and create in us new life, new humanity. And it's beautiful and wonderful and fantastic. And all of a sudden, what we could never do on our own, never become Amish. We can never do that on our own. We can never become holy on our own. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes. The kingdom of God comes. He is invited into our hearts and lives. He cleanses us. And he transforms us into a holy people. And we all of a sudden have the ability to live in unison with God in this way that is not perfect as human eyes see perfection. Y'all know me. You know I'm not perfect. I got a lot of things going on. I make mistakes. I had to apologize like 20 times this week because we're all tired and we're, we're not perfect. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I have the ability to live in perfect love with others. Man, and it's beautiful. And all of a sudden, you quit judging people because of the mistakes that they make. And you quit enforcing your beliefs on other people because you're right and they're wrong. And you quit dragging out your theology in front of other people, telling them, I've got it all right. All of a sudden, you have this ability to love God purely and to love your neighbor fear of rejection we come before him with perfect love all right we're gonna we're gonna keep going we're gonna wrap it up we're almost to 24 here you have come to the spirits oh we did that one 24 now i'm sorry cj and now you have come to jesus church he's the one who mediates the new covenant between god and his people And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Now, real quick, we're we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But Cain and Abel, um, they were were brothers. And um, Abel brought better gifts than Cain before the Lord. And so Cain got really jealous, and he killed his brother. And at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, you see this battle that takes place between these two brothers, And it tells us that Abel's blood cried out from the ground for vengeance against his brother because of what he had done. So that's where that whole end part comes in there that you go, I don't know that story, I don't really understand. Um, And and really in the initial, in the, the best translation, it says that the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word. A better word. So it's no longer a word of vengeance and and anger against judgment against your neighbor. It's not a word of fear. It's not a word of agony. All of that blood, all of that that brokenness and that death no longer speak of hatred, but they speak of life. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. It speaks a word of love, of grace, of perfection, of hope of trust of grace a grace that has per- been pursuing all of us for a really long time i'm using lots of big nazarene terminology today but we call it prevenient grace and it simply means the grace that goes before There's grace that we experience now in these very moments. There's grace that we experience because we're going through something difficult and we understand grace from other people. And that's why a lot of times I ask you all for grace when you don't feel gracious because I need you to start thinking about grace before we even get to the place where it's going to be hard. (laughs) And that's what Jesus does for us all the time. It's that provenient grace. It's already waiting for you. In five minutes, in five hours, in five days, in five years, that grace is already ahead of you. It's been waiting for you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up, and we're going to close with a song today. And uh, I, and for some of you, this you know, I know we have quite a few visitors with us today, and you go, man, this might be kind of an awkward thing, but as they sing, I just want to encourage you. Man, if you have never given your heart and life over to the Lord, today is the day of your salvation. Today's the day that he wants to he wants to speak a better word in your life. The new covenant, the blood of Jesus wants to wash away your sins, forgive you of those things, bring you into right relationship with the Lord. And so I we've got altars, we also have lots of Christmas trees, I don't know, but <laughs> And man, today we're going to We're going to stand and sing, and maybe you just want to raise your hand in praise to the God who has called us higher. Maybe you're just feeling today like the Lord is calling you into something new, and you want to come and spend some time in prayer. I want to encourage you to do that. Um, And let's just stand and worship the God of our salvation today. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you today, oh God, that you do not leave us where you find us but you continue to draw us unto yourself, working in us new life through the power of your Holy Spirit, bringing us closer to the very foot of the cross, working in us perfect love so that we can truly live out loving you and loving our neighbor with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we thank you for today for your many blessings, for the things that you have brought about and the things that are yet to come. Oh, God, may you be glorified in all of it, and may all the people of God say it together. Amen.